humanitarian. This week we speak to Panos Mumsis, the ASG, Assistant Secretary General of the UN, in charge of a new initiative called the Global Executive Leadership Initiative, GELI. The conversation is interesting because leadership is such a crucial issue and one that we do not always spend a lot of time on. As a community, we are happy spending weeks, months, and sometimes even years negotiating policy frameworks for interagency collaboration, but we lack a strong focus on equipping the leaders throughout the system with the tools and the mindset to make things work. We have all experienced operations where a handful of outstanding individuals have made all of the difference And the opposite is also true. Sometimes one or a couple of spoilers seem to be able to obstruct even the simplest, most obvious no-brain initiatives. The question we need to ask ourselves is where do those outstanding individuals come from? How do we grow them? How do we make sure they fall into the right position? And how do we make it as likely as possible that they make the right decision when they get into a really difficult situation? Those and many more issues are what I talked to Panos about in this episode. It's a really interesting conversation. Geely is fresh off the blog. It's just started last week, and it is really interesting. I look forward to seeing it develop and hopefully succeed over the coming years. Enjoy the conversation. Panos Mumsis, welcome to Two Minutes. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. I'm delighted to be here with you. Yeah, so we were very happy you could find time to do this. You are the Assistant Secretary General in charge of something called the GILI, the Global Executive Leadership Initiative, and we look forward to hearing a lot about that. But first, it would be great to hear a bit about your history, your experience. What have you done in the humanitarian sector? Well, I consider myself a humanitarian practitioner. I've spent the majority of my 30-plus years career in operations in the field. I, I really consider myself extremely lucky to have to have worked in this field and have the privilege to be part of the humanitarian family. So uh, I've worked, uh, started back in the 1990-91 from Gaza, northern Iraq, uh, the, the Kurdish crisis, then uh, Somalia crisis 92-94, sadly the Rwanda genocide in 94 and uh, DRC. Um, and, and then moved to a number of other positions, both in Africa and the Middle East. The first 20 years of my work was primarily with the UNHCR, the UN High Commission for Refugees, having started with Amnesty International before that uh, on, on human rights. And I would say that human rights uh, assignment and set the mindset for me for the entire career in terms of what I've gone. Um, including my most recent assignment in Syria as a regional humanitarian coordinator for the Syria crisis, uh, one of those most complex um, and uh, really challenging jobs, I would say, I've ever done. I had the pleasure also to move across the system a little bit, working with, uh, with UNRWA, dealing with Palestinian refugees, and, and now my function, uh, uh, first of all, as, as a humanitarian coordinator, really looking more at the system where I've always said I've considered myself 50 UN, 50% UN and 50% NGOs, uh, really bringing the family of all of us working together in it. Uh, and a year ago, I was asked to help uh, set up this uh, new project, the GELI, the Global Executive Leadership Initiative, uh, a project that looks into the supporting leadership, uh, uh, training, strengthening, capacity building, both at the individual and the, at the collaborative leadership team le- level in the field. 
And you are an ASG, an Assistant Secretary General. That's a big deal. Well, it's part of my title that most of the days I don't think about it. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm honored that uh, this is what is offered to me. Uh, I report uh, to the Emergency Relief Coordinator. In fact, I report to a board, an advisory board that... Uh, provides a strategic direction for the project I'm working with. And that board includes both UN NGOs, including private sector and donors that kind of help us in, this, in terms of the strategic uh, direction in terms of where we're going. But it would be fair to say that the fact that this is led by an ASG is, is a sign that the system, the UN is really taking leadership very seriously. It's something it wants to focus on. It's something it wants to push forward. Absolutely. I think that uh, leadership is recognized as really a very important part of our work and what we're doing. There is The project is in an effort to further professionalize, further invest on, on leadership. And I think uh, having an assignment at the top level made by the Secretary General within the system, but also there was a recognition that this will be as a project that is also an independent voice and an independent project in terms of what we're doing. So um, I'm delighted and privileged to be in this position, but also uh, after a long time in the field of many, many operations and leadership positions, it's, it's, it's a privilege to have the time to sit back and reflect, but also give back to the current generation of leaders and emerging leaders uh, as we are looking across the system. And how did uh, Gailey come about? Was it, uh, did you wake up one day and get this great idea? Did somebody, uh, what's the origin story of, of Gailey? There's a number of factors. I mean, my personal path, I would say, uh, two jobs back, I was working, I was the uh, founding director for the peer-to-peer -peer team, looking at, at the time, it was the transformative agenda and how to best support it in the field. And uh, during the four years I was there, I led 24 country missions of real-time review. And what was obvious that is while we look at uh, kind of operational efficiency, speed, scale, um, and the underlying uh, question in all these teams and countries was the role of leadership. And how wonderful is it when that leader, she or he, carries the responsibility beautifully and, and what a disaster is for themselves and for the teams where this is not the case. So it became obvious that uh, leadership was really an important part. We're also fortunate to have a donor, uh, the U.S. government, USID, who really took this idea and kind of fostered it and created it, leading us to where we are today. And so this is really interesting because I think for those of us who followed peer-to-peer when it started and, and it was clear that it was successful in, in really building some kind of acceptance at the field level of, of there being an inside-outside eye, if you want, or, or some kind of um, external to the country team coming in and helping facilitate processes. And it's really interesting to hear you say that basically after all these contributions and all this learning, what you come up with is you can have the best process in the world but if you don't have the right person with the right mindset, that actually doesn't matter. It, it really, that, that it is a necessary condition to have the leadership on the ground to make operations happen. Is, is that a fair recap? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the leadership and, uh, is making or breaking uh, in every operation. We saw it even more now within the COVID pandemic. Uh, leadership at all levels, the leadership at the political level. Of course, we're looking specifically at the humanitarian development sector. One of the innovations that Gelli is bringing is uh, we strongly believe 
that um, when we talk about leadership, we need to have the totality of the family in the room, in the cohort or in the discussion. So we are breaking silos in terms of leadership development programs by having United Nations, NGOs, ICRC, the Federation, the humanitarian family together. There's lots of leadership programs that often is UNHC to their own staff or NGOs, vice versa. We believe that there has to be that there is a richness in doing that. And, and for me, the journey from peer to peer was also about that. It was really the bluntness, the straightforwardness of a discussion, a review, to, to really put the finger on the pulse and to go all the way to the bone in terms of what is it that needs to be done differently to be more efficient, more effective, to get better results. Bottom line is to always have the people we help in the center of our heart and our mind. Uh, sometimes we get carried away by our systems, our bureaucracies, our approaches, uh, and really that keeping the people in mind. And then uh, the, with Gelli, it's the investment on the leadership to be able to have the tools, the mindset for individuals, for teams to reach their maximum potential. What does that concretely look like? What are your work streams as Gelli? What do you do? So we have, uh, it's a brand new program. Actually, we've just launched it uh, last week. So I'm, I'm really delighted for that. We have three streams. So we have a 12-month executive leadership program um, for a cohort of 25 colleagues, all of them leaders at the moment in leadership positions for UN agencies, NGOs, ICRC, the Federation. Out of the current cohort of 25, we have colleagues coming from 21 countries uh, around the world. So that journey of 12 months looks into individual leadership, looks into collaborative leadership, looks into transformational leadership. Uh, everybody's offered an executive coach and some I would say of them really cutting edge in terms of leadership uh, thinking tools. Uh, that exists in the world right now. We have a, an approach to the 80-20 philosophy, which means that 20% if, is if you want academic or theoretical concepts, 80% is applicable, which means that if I'm going through this course and I'm discussing on, on, on a topic, uh, the whole design of it is what, what do I take from it back to my own job, to my own context, hopefully to have uh, to be a better leader uh, with what I'm doing. So it's we place a huge emphasis on the practical, applicable knowledge and how to take it down to operations. Then we have a second stream, which is short-term trainings. Can I just ask, how do you pick the 25? Oh, this was the uh, we the 25 because this was the pilot. Uh, we asked uh, NGOs, UN agencies, uh, Red Cross family to uh, nominate colleagues. Now, in 23, we plan to do another round of this 12-month program, and we we plan to open it totally to applicants. People come forward <coughs> to apply for this position as as they go through it. Yeah. Then we have the second pillar of Gelli, which looks into short-term courses. Many colleagues said that 12 months is wonderful, but really, uh, with our work commitments, uh, is there anything shorter? So we have two courses under this uh, uh, short-term field-based offer trainings. One is on negotiation skills, so the art of negotiations, mediation, conflict resolution, uh, which uh, is exclusively designed for senior level leaders, again, UN and GEO family. Um, and this is a six week course, uh, which is blended, which means uh, five weeks online and then three days face to face at regional hubs. So we're doing one in Nairobi, one in Dakar, Panama City, um, Amman and, and Bangkok. 
Um, so one is on negotiation skills. And then a second training, which we're starting next year, is going to be looking into strategic communications, influencing skills for senior leaders. Again, we, we've, we've all have done in the past, you know, the how to do a BBC interview story. The world has changed with social media, but also is this strategic uh, balancing act of what is the best way to reach my advocacy goal or whatever is my goal with governments, non-governments, others to be able to reach it. So that's the strategic communications. And then lastly, under pillar three, we are looking into uh, questions of system leadership and innovation. Um, we're actually fortunate uh, to work with the, the UN Secretary General's office, DCO in New York, into what is called the SDG Lab, which looks into basically how we collaborate as individuals within a team and also within a system where we often come with wonderful mandates, but sometimes become on the way as well on how we bring it all together. And lastly, we want to attach to it a leadership innovation lab, a, a safe space for leaders, again, across the system and across the silos, the pillars, to tackle an issue and, and reflect freely how, how can we innovate? How can we do the same thing better? We have a constant sense that the world is moving so fast. The world is moving much faster than us as humanitarians. I would say we all feel very proud in the way we respond very fast on crisis. We really, we, we move. However, we do not respond fast enough on our own internal criticism and what we need to do. And that's, in a way, the space we want to create. I fully agree. Agility is there when it comes to actually getting out to the earthquake. But agility is not there when it comes to transforming our system, our ways of working, and the whole institutional framework, the humanitarian architecture, if you want. I think I think that is is abundantly clear to all of us after several big reform efforts over the past 15, 20 years. And and what I really find interesting about Gili is that it picks a different focus. It's exactly not about structures and protocols and mandates and who's allowed to do what and who's not allowed to do what. It is how do you as an individual use the platform you have been given? How do you interpret your mandate and the responsibility you have to make a difference? That, that's interesting. This is important because uh, we live in a system that one could be all consumed about the processes and how to go about it. And I think, one, keeping the focus on the people and, and what does it mean for the people. Um, and then the Gelly uh, investment is really investing on leadership development on, on senior leaders within our system. And I think this is something that we don't do enough. Uh, if you look at 2021, we had a $36 billion annual humanitarian plan uh, in place, um, yet the delivery of it depends on the effective leadership approach at the top level, of course, at the operational level, to be able to bring it all together. The, the private sector invests significantly on leadership, and they started much earlier. And, and the space we also uh, occupy as Gelli is the collaborative leadership with um, between teams. So it's not about the wonderful leadership programs that you know, many of the UN agencies and NGOs have. We look at the space of how do we come together to bring results, which is critical in every operation. I, so I agree it's critical, and but, but a question I have on my mind is, it's clearly not a level playing field, right? We are sector dominated by a few big agencies. If you look at the percentage of money going through the three big operational UN agencies, it's, it's more than 50%. I, it's probably even more than that. I can't remember, actually. Uh, 
to be totally honest. If you look within the NGO sector, it's dominated by a couple of handful of really big and powerful agencies with big turnover. And we have a conversation about uh, localization, about decolonization at times. I mean, aren't you just reproducing the existing power structure within the system? You're training the leaders of the incumbents to be even better leaders for their organizations. It's a very good question, actually. You're asking a very uh, challenging one. I think we are creating, providing a free thinking space. We don't have any particular agenda or mandate or really, but that's where the independence of the project is so vital. Uh, it's a space for, for the system, for members of the system to come together, first of all, to find out how to best excel. How can I do better as an individual? Uh, we place a huge emphasis on collaborative leadership. I think we have moved away from the heroic leadership. We're moving a lot into a system where we need to be able to work together, but also we need to be able to work together in a way that decisions are made, efficiency is done. It's not about the machinery being together, but about being fast and sharp and thoughtful in terms of how we carry ourselves and how we, we bring it in place. All the issues you have mentioned are issues of our time. So Gelly doesn't focus on anyone in particular. We really look very specifically into how to make an impact and a best difference uh, in the world. Another angle that we bring is the private sector. And we want to bring to mix a lot more uh, the, 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 some of the best practices or so thinking that's always some of our speakers, some of the approaches. Um, uh, the private sector has invested for longer and much more than us on leadership development. It's fairly acceptable in the private sector that you may have a coach, you may have someone, you know, you have, there is a learning uh, journey that you go through it. Uh, in our sector, I mean, I'll just maybe I'll talk about myself. Um, I was fortunate to have the path I had, but a lot of it I learned it through trial and error, falling in my, uh, on my face, making the mistakes. And I think, of course, this will still continue happening, but every tool, every support that we can provide to our leaders in our sector. We don't talk much about, we don't write much about leadership, analysis, development in our humanitarian sector, yet billions of dollars go through our, our operations to help. And it's not just about the money, it's about, of course, the, 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 the impact on people's lives that depend on a timely decision and any delay costs lives in terms of what would, would happen. I couldn't agree more, right? And I think there's a massive return on investment in, in terms of developing better leaders and, and putting them in the right place. So I, I do believe that JLE could be truly transformational if you are successful. We hope so. That's our, our goal, really, to be able to influence uh, both the mindset and have a bigger impact within the sector itself. But what's your theory of change? How would you, how would you describe that? How, how are you going to achieve that, that transformation? So the transformation is to take place at a couple of levels. The first one is at the individual level. And I think that if you want looking at the mirror, and, and that's the tools that are provided to be able to help individual leaders, we're also looking at collaborative leadership and the system. System leadership, system change is really an important part of what we do because you cannot look at the leaders in vacuum of the broader ecosystem that we're all part of it. And that influences significantly uh, the mandates, the social, the political context, the various pressures we're under in terms of uh, where we are. So we basically, by working with individuals, working with the, with the system, with the collaborative, with the teams, we want to be able to bring a transformation and an impact 
um, to provide some original thinking, some innovation in leadership innovation. We're not talking about tech and a, and a change uh, in the sector um, on the way we move forward, and also to build the next, the current and the next level of cadre of leaders to invest on it. So that if somebody has gone through the program, we want it to be recognized as a as a sign of excellence or an investment to be the best leader one can in whatever position one is. When I think back uh, at the times where I've been in the most trouble with my hierarchy, wherever I worked, it's been when I said no to money. Right? So if, if somebody flew me half across the world to get an echo contract, and I basically said, no, I don't think you can get this one because uh, there's no capacity to actually implement it, so no, I'm not going to write this for you, then I got in real trouble. Now, those incentives, they are a big part of the problem with we have in the sector, right? And so how do you address that? Do you, do you do you go into, how do you think of poor little me sitting there in a country uh, being hammered by my, my boss at home for not getting the, the turnover up? How are you going to help me, Geli? So I think with Geli, um, I would say values is again at the core of leadership. We cannot in the humanitarian development sector talk about leadership without looking at everything in life through the core question of values. Is this, uh, uh, is this in line with the values of our organization, of our team, of our sector? Uh, in today's world with um, so many issues out there, I would say the, our, our core values is what really keeps us on the core of where we are. So, uh, and in, in many of our leaders, uh, many of us have been in situations where we had to make this difficult call. We had to make this difficult decision that is never easy. Um, um, and it's that judgment call that comes in our mind to say, you know, am I going to be an opportunist? Am I going to be uh, or am I going to do the right thing? And that doing the right thing, it might sound very simple, but I, it's never that easy, but it's important for each leader to be connected, I would say, with our core values and ourselves. And for me, has always been the guiding principle to which way we're going to go. Um, maybe I'll refer the, the my last assignment in, in, in Syria, where it was very difficult. It is still difficult for many of our leaders who work today in Afghanistan or in Yemen, in many of these difficult places, to be guided by these core values to stay true to them of course to do the right thing in terms of moving forward uh, otherwise we are not the humanitarian sector i think this for me is very core to who we are i i i really agree with that i also think we have we have values as, as a community but we also have corporate cultures that sometimes run contrary to that and so as you describe we have we have a very difficult job and we have to make very difficult priorities where, wherever we go. How, what, what's the bottleneck? Do you think? What, what is it we need to unstick to get more principled outcomes of, of out of these very difficult situations? Well, I think um, a couple of, of, of reflections. One is we have become a lot, if I can put it very simply, technically driven. So it's good that we have established 
the you know the standards and you know quantifiable measurable and so on but the strategic direction cannot be done by this technical consideration so the role of leadership in a country in a humanitarian country team or in a in a deep field sub office wherever that is it's really important to make sure that the, the they have a clarity in terms of the strategic direction there's a clarity in terms of the priorities we can never do it all so what are the first things we're going to put in place to to bring it uh, in the place to the way we've moved um we we live in a world where we are hugely interconnected yet i find that on leadership positions it still remains a lonely place there is very little interchange um, uh, in between senior leaders to be able to pick up the phone and say hey john hey mary i'm i'm struggling with this issue it doesn't happen so i think that also exchange among leaders that uh, would be good to 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 and we hope with that safe space to be able to provide a platform where leaders could do because in many places we don't need to reinvent reinvent the wheel i mean some of the same issues are happening again and again and then there are some situations where what we see is the issue that we see in one or two or three countries actually is not a one country issue it's it's a it's a it's a policy issue it's a broader system issue and i think we hope to be able also to influence um and have in the table the policy makers of the, whatever the specific issue is the key holders of the issue if you want on the table around the table to discuss and think what needs to be done so we we hope to be able to to create an impact uh, on individuals and on the system most importantly to be able to have an impact on these very people that we're trying to help so in a sense you're trying to build sort of a network and and social capital or trust across many different organizations hoping hoping that that will transform the interaction between the organizations but not so much tackle the the fact that there is competition between the different players i mean you you don't go into that whole institutional game no i mean the network is really important and the network that goes uh, across silos if you want this really network of un ngos and red cross family together in fact one of the things we're creating is an alumni gali alumni network of, uh, of colleagues who would have gone through that who then become uh, a source for connectivity for exchange for inspiration for discussion on issues that uh, they're they're taking place i think competition is healthy i mean it's good to have the competition because bottom line is everybody tries to do their very best with whatever they're doing i think when um but this this network the the gali network we're building is really uh building bridges uh on across organizations across silos across the humanitarian development as well um on in a way that I don't think we have had so far I think I agree with that and I think these things can be very powerful but but just to pick up on the competition I so I agree competition is healthy unless you have a sort of near monopoly status right i mean and and that is a bit it's not a level playing field and there are some really really powerful agencies and i could for example ask you know all of these big agencies have their own leadership programs yeah. you, how do you relate to that well um i mean also to be realistic and pragmatic uh, gelli is not going to reorganize the whole architecture of the system you know the system is there what we're trying to find is how to find the leverages the handles uh, the issues that could enhance improve the thinking and and you know the all delivery in terms of uh, what we do now these organizations have their own yes they have their own the leadership uh, questions i think this is up to them and their board to see how to 
to to resolve it. Uh, but I've been actually we, we've just started this program, and I've been um, really uh, delighted to hear the re reactions from several organizations that came and said, "Wow, can you come to actually?" target a specific group or a specific number of uh, senior leaders to, to, to do more of what you're doing, but looking at ourselves. So at the moment, we're, we're really at the beginning of a journey. We will look at leadership as a, a long-term plan. It's not a 12-month. We have a five-year plan put in place. And uh, I'm delighted that we increasingly have more and more governments uh, is funding is not the funding is not the, the partnering is really more joining this mindset approach and investment on leadership because bottom line is taxpayers are paying millions of dollars so the efficient use of these resources requires an investment on leadership and a recognition that you need to invest on leadership and start early enough within uh, our sector also the partnership with both the private sector and the foundations for me it's heartwarming it's, it's i'm delighted to see how many of them have come forward showing, expressing interest in what we're doing and of course wanting to collaborate and to join uh, donors, join our board, which gives them also an opportunity to, to support the strategic direction as we're going. So you speak about the, the link between investing in leadership and efficiency, better outcomes, these things. Obviously, the the host government or the, the, the government in the country where the crisis is, is happening or where the work is going on is a very important piece of that puzzle. Do you also target senior leadership from government ministries, uh, local governments? Uh? We, at the moment, our focus is entirely 100% on leadership within the humanitarian development sector with UN NGOs and the Red Cross family. Um, this is a completely different space. And no, we don't have any any government of host governments or any governments, I would say, as part of the leadership program. To what extent would you say that you contribute towards localization with, with this program? Localization is an important uh, question. And of course, uh, I, I can give you lots of stories of the difference I've seen when we use rightly the local capacity, strengths and abilities to do there. So uh, we include local NGOs, local actors in the training programs we have. Um, we, we include them, I would say, in the same proportionality as our members of the teams on the ground. Uh, so we welcome them as they go. Geli is not a loca the localization project, you know, but we look at the, the leadership within our sector and an important uh, partner actor is indeed the local actors and they're part of uh, the programs we offer. You, you're just out of your first training workshop, I believe. I, I saw that on social media. What's your big takeaway from that? Who, who was there? What happened? What surprised you? What was... Oh, it was! I was thrilled to to be part of that. So we had 25 uh, colleagues, uh, about 10 UN, 10 NGOs, and the rest were Red Cross, uh, Red Cross, ICRC family. Um, it was um, um, highly participatory. I think we tried our our goal and our vision was to create a unique program, a program that nobody else has at the moment. And that executive leadership program really, we've only done the first residency. We have two more to go. But uh, it was, I was delighted to see the reaction from the participants because it really shook everybody to get out of their comfort zone, to look at themselves in the mirror, to look at how they co we collaborate uh, together. Lots of new concepts and approach that were, were, were put on the table in terms of uh, uh, system thinking, in terms of uh, uh, 
soul searching, looking at ourselves, looking at our mindset, the peer coaching that we're offering. You know, we, we're always ready to offer everybody advice and, and questions. We don't ask enough questions when we work both within our teams and within our, our staff. So the feedback we got was really quite uh, inspirational and, 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 and encouraging from the first cohort. Uh, we also have now the intercession between the first and the second residency, which is in six months in Berlin. Um, there will be weekly podcasts, webinars, uh, um, interesting articles. In this program, we have partnered with uh, Harvard University, the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative that brings together many parts of Harvard, but also voices and, and, and leadership schools of thought, if you want, from the South as well. I don't think there is one model that, that fits it all. Uh, that diversity of views, diversity of uh, approaches, uh, is extremely important. And now we're looking forward to the second cohort, which will be looking into collaborative leadership and how we come together in team um, negotiation skills, empathy, for example, leading with empathy was, was, was part of uh, what, uh, what were there. What was the biggest surprise to you? What, what hadn't you seen before you went into this course? I, w I, w I would say uh, when designing the program, and it took us a year also with COVID, it took us longer. My, my, some of my colleagues have been working much longer than that. Um, there were so many aspects of the leadership experience and cycle that I hadn't thought that actually this is a whole school of thought and field. That there's so much you can do to be more self-aware, to carry yourself in the best possible way. Uh, so for me, it was a significant discovery in terms of uh, what what is being offered to them. Uh, I was I was uh, so pleased to see the very active participation and engagement uh, of the colleagues. They already formed teams. Uh, there is the Nomads team, the Stars of Africa team, the Leaders team, the, and, and that togetherness. They're already all in WhatsApp now and exchanging and talking. So that is really. Um, a, a, a kind of a certification of uh, why we're doing it, a validation of where we're moving. And it's the beginning of a journey. Of course, they also came up with several suggestions on what not to do or how to improve it. And I think in also the pedagogical system we're trying to use is highly participatory, highly experimental. Uh, for us, it was 25 wonderful leaders in the room each of them with a lot of stories and experience and that in itself is a tremendous richness, of course, facilitated by exceptional, incredible um, leaders, faculty that we're also bringing the private sector, we're bringing others as we come in to expose the mind and to challenge the mind on, on new ideas and new concepts and to bring the best out of everybody to reach their maximum potential. I think that's the goal with, uh, we've, we've set up. You're making me very envious, actually, that I wasn't there. <laughs> it sounds like you really managed to create this. And I experience that sometimes when you, when you do a training course, especially on leadership, where you, where you certainly have that space to think and, and people around you who you can be free with to discuss the difficult things you do. That, that's a very powerful experience. And the way you describe this and the enthusiasm in your voice sort of indicates to me that, that that's the sort of experience you had. Absolutely. Um, also, I mean, it was both um, 
um, uh, inspirational or, or you know, exciting moment, but it was also there were difficult moments in it as well because we, we live in a sector that um, there's very little blunt feedback in a constructive forward-looking way to be able to look at your mirror and just see how am I perceived, how am I seen, what do I need to do to, to have a better presence as a leader. Uh, we've gone beyond the time of the one-person leader. We're looking really into leadership that you could lead from wherever you're sitting. Uh, leadership is really to exercise the best within your team to, mix, to, to do the best they can do in terms of what they're doing or what they're working on. So I think there were lots of uh, inspirational concepts, but also tools and specific uh, elements that I hope the cohort that went through the first residency went back and would be working for the next I mean it's a one-year program and which we by the way we want to in 2023 our plan is to run two cohorts a year of 30 participants to get a wider number of course of colleagues always the same concept UN NGOs and the Red Cross family coming together on these discussions maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this but one one reflections I've sometimes had when I move around sort of UN circles it's that Almost the higher up the system you come, the more the more vulnerable people seem to feel, and the more they complain about how constrained they are. It's just a reflection that I've had sometimes, and and I, I I'm sure it is really tough to operate at senior levels, and I'm very cognizant that I haven't I haven't done that myself. But but do you think that's a part of the puzzle that people actually feel incredibly vulnerable when they're in these positions? In spite of the fact that that actually you guys have the power, you guys are you're the bosses. Well, a um, couple of reflections. First of all, I mean, many colleagues, all of us, we move up the system. Uh, we may have started <clears throat> with the technical knowledge in area. One may be an engineer or a nurse or a teacher or. Uh, and then eventually over the years one finds themselves in a leadership role and that's a completely different job it's really it's it's uh, the importance of having this strong ability of sensing uh, sensing towards yourself sensing towards a team uh, and and to lead the team in a way that they would bring the best results in the way forward so I think um, that's where this leadership investment is, is, is important because it, it gives that platform to think, to reflect and to take it and apply it in one's own uh, situation where it is. Um, I'm, I'm happy that we are now becoming more and more open as a, as a sector in terms of coaching. Um, to provide leadership coaching, uh, which uh, I remember five years ago I was in a meeting and they brought in uh, five coaches and uh, in a humanitarian coordinator's retreat. And the question is, oh, please talk to them. And poor coaches at lunchtime, nobody wanted to go near them because I think there was a, a little bit more of a, almost a stigma. You know, you must be underperforming to go on a call to be, you know, or if I'm sent to a leadership program, it must be because there is a problem that I'm sent all this program. I think we want to change the culture of that because it's really it's an area that you need to invest uh, to you it's a it's all being offered tools that would help one first to self-manage oneself to self-manage your my, our mindset that often um, to better understand our brain and how we operate to better understand how we collaborate to better understand how to juggle within the system that has its challenges, it has its shortcomings. And the question is how to navigate through all of that once you are in the leadership position to, to bring the best in yourself and on the team in terms of where you want to be going. You describe this as the, as the beginning of a journey. We are now starting on a five-year 
journey for Gilly. Where are we going to be in five years? How will the world have changed because of your work? Well, we, we, that's a, uh, an important question. So we, we want to be able in five years time to be able, first of all, to have created a network of leaders that have gone or are currently or have gone through leadership positions uh, that make decisions that are more impactful for the affected people. I always come back to the affected people, whether refugees or IDPs in humanitarian or development. Our clients, the very people that there is on that, are the very people that we wake up every day and, and go to work to better serve. So in five years' time, we want to be able to have a more acute awareness uh, in terms of leadership skills and leadership development to have built a capacity of the next generation of leaders as they're coming up uh, and to have done it equally for NGOs, UN and Red Cross together in the same room uh, to create more bridges that we we hope this, this uh, alumni network, these friendships that will be created will be impactful in the years and the jobs that they do wherever they are. How do you measure that? It's pretty hard to cramp into a log frame. It's not the, the, the what do you call it, the numbers measurement. It's not the number of days or hours or participants. The impact has to be uh, on impact, on operations, on the very people that we're working. So we have a very robust um, M&E program in, in each of the three pillars I described and overall on the program. Uh, that's the question I get from our donors. Why, how do you measure the impact? How do we know that this is not yet another training program that people go for three days? And that's what we have avoided from the beginning. This is a unique program, a, an exceptional, where we set the bar extremely high, both in terms of quality, in terms of impact, in terms of a pra a practicability, but also relevance to our sector. We haven't taken none of the trainings we have is off the shelf. So all of them are custom-made, tailor-made to our own context in scenarios, in, 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 in practical applicability to make a difference uh, on, the, on the people that we serve. And that's really the goal we have. And, and so your M&E framework is very qualitative in focus. You'll do case studies, uh, that sort of thing. Is that how you... Both qualitative and quantitative. We have both of them to be able to... So there's a lot of, uh, you know, discussions to be able to take, to, to be able to say that's the impact that happened in X country on X operation. Um, and of course, it's a very difficult because as often as multiple... Uh, reasons that come into is not the only one, but we're really focusing on to be able to measure it uh, both quantitative and qualitative for what difference it made. And I'm asking because it's here here at ACAPS it, that has been really difficult for two reasons, I think. One, what we do sort of success is through the agency of others. I think it's the same for you, right? So that the outcome is really by influencing others. It, it is indeed, but uh, that influencing is so vital to do it right. I fully agree. It's also extremely difficult to measure. I think that that's the one challenge for me in, in terms of, of attributing or, or identifying whether something has been a success. And secondly, the difficulty we have found is that it really has been a journey for us as well in terms of changing as we went along. And to define a M&E or meal framework that is flexible enough to actually accommodate the organization changing as the learning is implemented. Those, those have for us been difficulties in really measuring impact and being able to document how we have made it. Different. No, I, I relate with that. And that's something we spend a lot of time discussing internally how to best do uh, to be able to, to measure that impact. We think that, first of all, we would like to have that 
a handful of people that go through each training and to be able over the years to create a critical mass uh, that really is able to perform at the highest level for themselves in terms of th discharging the responsibility in the leadership position um, where they are. We're at the beginning of a journey, so we're also, um, I have to be very clear, we're, we're piloting this, so it, which means that as we go through, uh, there will be changes, improvements to try to make it as uh, applicable, as uh, relevant, as impactful, uh, as as we go and after every pilot and uh, there will there is a time of built in to to review and to go back to the drawing board to see what do we need to do uh, to do things better we're also are getting a lot of requests from leaders who colleagues who say how about this aspect how so at the moment we want first of all with these three pillars to solidify and do really well uh, in terms of what we're doing we will be taking more things uh, as we're going through we we also believe on the importance uh, of the, particularly for senior leaders of the face-to-face -face, and that was part of the change challenge with the covid where um, some of the programs are hybrid but they all have an element of face-to-face -face because you need that intimacy you need that directness to be able to open one's soul, one's heart and mind in terms of uh, what we're doing. Maybe a final question for you. What's your advice to all of the fantastic humanitarian leaders who will not have the opportunity to go on the Gailey program? What, what, what's your piece of advice for them? Well, I mean, first of all, there is other programs, agencies, NGOs, you know, I mean, we, we will not be able to offer it to all for clear. So it's a small number that uh, will go through it. Uh, I think it's good to always search, to search in, in oneself, so search, find, and there is a lot more things that are online that are available to find ways to, to, to self-improve. Um, coaching is also available in our network. Uh, I myself have become a coach. I'm a member of the Humanitarian Coaching Network, which is offered coaching for, for free to our, our. So there is there, there are tools that are available. It's a question of just finding them and being able to, to go out to them. But I think having that self-awareness, self-searching, uh, um, and, and, and finding always ways to improve. Ask questions to your teams, how you're seen. Ask for feedback as you go through. Uh, empower your team to be able to reach their protection and to be able to, to, to maximize the impact they have. I think it's a privilege to be working in the humanitarian sector. It's been an incredible uh, joy for me and I'm sure for all of us to, to do a job that gives us a purpose, a focus, um, and, and a satisfaction that no other job in the, in the world would give us that. Uh, yet is how we discharge this privilege in the best possible way to serve. And that is where there is a question of self-questioning and, and self-reflecting uh, to do it in the best possible way for whatever seat we are sitting. Panos Mopsis, thank you so much for coming on Humanitarian. Thank you for the leadership you are showing within the sector. All the best of luck with Gailey. I think it's very exciting and I look forward to following it in the years to come. Well, thank you. Thank you to Trumanitarian. It's my privilege to have been here with you and to have this uh, really stimulating, interesting conversation. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing our colleagues and hopefully the programs go stronger and stronger as we go. Thank you very much. Rights and the freedom to be For people to choose their path in life and dream Souls of men beyond what you see Stages are different for each who will lead Cycles of outsiders that get fat checks Fly in, fly out of places with slums and jets Ask better questions, pick apart, educate And knowing is safe, we're here to build and debate 
We are, we are searching for more. Open up your mind beyond rich or poor. For the truth, you've been warned. Humanitarian.